This is Ethan Siegel, and welcome back to the Starts With a Bang podcast. It's easy to look out at the universe today, particularly with the best equipment available, and conclude that there's a nearly limitless supply of stuff for us to see. When we look out with the largest, most powerful telescopes in the best environments, when we look for the longest amounts of time we've ever looked, what we've been able to see is tremendous. There are hundreds of billions of galaxies out there in the universe, each containing, on average, hundreds of billions of stars on their own. There are, to our best estimate, more than 10 to the 23 stars in the universe. And that's not even all there is, because we know the longer we look and in deeper wavelengths, the more we continue to see. In fact, if we look out into the distant past, we find that when the universe was younger, it was forming stars at a more rapid rate. As the universe has gone on and aged over the past few billion years, the star formation rate has continued to drop and drop and drop. Meanwhile, stars continue to burn through their fuel, die in either supernovae or planetary nebulae, and recycle their once inner material into the next generation of stars. Even with this dropped rate, even at the rate that stars form today, less than it's ever been at any point in the universe's history since we first started forming them, we still continue to form new ones over and over and over, And we know we will for trillions upon trillions of years, many, many times the present age of the universe. But it's not these stars that live for a short period of time, burn through their fuel, and then die in either a planetary nebula or a supernova that we're really interested in if we're asking about the last star that our universe will ever have. Because all of these stars will eventually die. The amount of fuel in the universe is finite. The amount of raw material of hydrogen and helium is finite. And finally, the amount of time that the universe has existed and that it can continue to have stars in, even though it's much longer than the present age of the universe, is also finite. If we want to know about what the last stars in the universe will look like, what they will be, we need to look at the longest-lived stars and what their fates are. And perhaps paradoxically, those longest-lived stars are actually the least noticeable ones. It's the lowest-mass stars, the reddest, coolest least bright stars in the entire universe, the red dwarf stars that we find, that are actually the longest lived in the universe. Proxima Centauri, the closest star to us, is completely unremarkable. There are hundreds of thousands of stars that appear brighter in the night sky than Proxima Centauri does, but it is the closest star to us at just 4.2 light years away, and yet we didn't find it till barely a hundred years ago. If we want to know about the longest-lived stars, we have to look where it's most difficult for us to find, 
at the absolute faintest end of the stellar spectrum. Because these stars are so low in mass, their cores, where they fuse hydrogen into helium, where they power themselves, is actually incredibly inefficient. The rate at which our star fuses hydrogen into helium means that after about 10 or 12 billion years go by, there will be no more nuclear fuel that it can burn in its core, and that core will contract and heat up and then start burning helium into even heavier elements. Well, in stars like red dwarfs, like Proxima Centauri, really in any star that's less than about 40% the mass of our sun, rather than taking billions or tens of billions of years to burn through their fuel, these stars can live for hundreds of billions, trillions, or even tens of trillions of years before they run out of all their fuel. This is enough time that the entire star will convect and bring all of the hydrogen into the core eventually to be fused into helium. And these stars are so low in mass that even when the entire star contracts and heats up, it will never reach sufficient temperatures to begin fusing helium into heavier elements. Instead, when these stars die, they will contract into a type of star that the universe is not old enough to have even one of them in yet. It will contract into a white dwarf solely composed of helium. Of course, during all of this, the universe continues to not only expand, but accelerate thanks to the presence of dark energy. Before a star like Proxima Centauri actually becomes a helium white dwarf, before we have the first one of these in our universe, dark energy will be so effective that it will have accelerated away every galaxy that is not gravitationally bound to another galaxy. From the point of view of our Milky Way, we will have merged with Andromeda and all the other galaxies in our local group. Not only that, but everything beyond our local group, all the galaxies in the Virgo cluster, all the galaxies in the Hubble Deep Field images, they will all have accelerated away and have redded out all we'll be able to see when we look out at the night sky in the distant future are the stars contained within Milkdromeda, our giant elliptical galaxy. Everything else, all the other galaxies in the entire universe, all 10 to the 23 plus of them, will have accelerated away to the point of complete and total invisibility from our perspective. And yet, even after all this, our home galaxy will still be forming stars. There will still be new stars in the future. As the hydrogen in the interstellar medium, as the hydrogen expelled from planetary nebulae and supernovae condenses into molecular clouds, under the influence of dark matter in our galaxy's halo, it refuses to leave our galaxy, it falls back in and will form new stars. And this is a process we expect to happen for not just trillions or tens of trillions, but quadrillions of years and even more. We expect there to be new stars for many tens or hundreds of thousands of times the lifetime of the universe today. 
the way you'll form new stars far into the future is going to look fairly similar to how we form them today. You're going to have a molecular cloud of gas that's going to contain a large amount of hydrogen that collapses. As stellar remnants continue to collide with one another, things like white dwarf stars or red dwarf stars or clouds that haven't quite got enough mass to form into their own stars merge together, you'll see them eventually form new stars. And finally, when you get brown dwarfs, when you get failed stars that in-spiral and merge together, they too will eventually cross that threshold where they suddenly have enough mass to begin fusing hydrogen in their core. Even long after conventional star formation dies out, we will still get the occasional explosion, the occasional blip, the occasional merger, and the occasional new source of visible light arising from that process of nuclear fusion. We've learned from studying the Orion Nebula, the closest region to Earth of massive star formation, that these low-mass stars, these red dwarf stars, are not only by far the most common type of star in the universe, but that well below red dwarf masses, down into brown dwarf territory, these are stars less than about 7.5% the mass of our sun, and not nearly massive enough to fuse hydrogen into helium, they are more common than even the red dwarf stars. Brown dwarf stars exist in great abundance. Our galaxy and all galaxies, we believe, are full of them. Long after the last star burns out, these brown dwarfs will continue to persist. But gravity doesn't make this so easy for us. Over time, the galaxy, what's left of it, will attempt to die in its own gravitational way. What happens when you get a large number of point masses together, things like stars, planets, black holes, or, as we just mentioned, brown dwarfs together? They whiz by each other, gravitationally interacting, and every once in a while, a massive object, brown dwarf, star, planet, will get kicked out, leaving the others more tightly bound. Over a long enough time, and we're talking perhaps 10 to the 17 years, most of the stars, most of the objects in the galaxy will either be ejected through this process we call violent relaxation, or will get funneled into the very center of the galaxy into our supermassive black hole. What will be left will be these rare brown dwarfs which occasionally merge, smack together, or in-spiral due to gravitational radiation into one another over long enough timescales. You might think this is a real rarity to have brown dwarfs merging or in-spiraling together, yet there's a newly discovered system, Lumen 16, which is a pair of brown dwarfs less than 10 light years away from us. Individually, each star does not have enough mass to begin fusing hydrogen into helium, but over incredibly long time scales, far longer time scales than not only the age of the universe, but then even we expect there to be newly formed stars by conventional means, 
these objects will gravitationally radiate their orbital energy away. They will spiral into each other. And if you take their masses and add them together, in other words, if you allow them to merge, they will, in fact, form a true red dwarf star and initiate nuclear fusion, hydrogen burning, and will give off light once again in the universe. If you were headed into the far, far future, if you could somehow preserve yourself in suspended animation, and you wanted to know what will happen in the universe when all the lights we know or can foresee go out, what would you do? Well, you can put yourself in a stable orbit away from a binary brown dwarf system. You can put yourself into suspended animation. And you could cause yourself to wake up, to reawaken, when the brown dwarfs merge together and give off that characteristic nuclear fusion signal. In other words, if you were a smart human who wanted to see how the universe ended, whether our best theories were right, and what it would look like when you finally reawakened, you would suspend yourself, you would put yourself into stasis, and you would orbit one of these binary brown dwarfs. When the time was right, when enough time had passed, when enough energy had radiated away, and you were left with, finally, a new star, you could reawaken and see exactly what the universe had brought you. We can't say with any form of certainty which pair of brown dwarfs will be the last one in Milk Dromeda to undergo this in spiral and merger. We can't look at a pair and say, this one will survive and that one will get ejected. The galaxy is too chaotic and there are too many unknown factors. But at this point, if we really wanted to plan ahead, we could send either robots or suspended humans around all the brown dwarf binaries that we found. And what would happen is eventually one of them would be the last civilization, the last living creatures in the universe around the very final source of energy our universe had, the last star of all. How long will this take? As best as we can tell, the longest lived stars that we know of will live tens of trillions of years, which is only 10 to the 13 years, not so much more than our current approximately 10 to the 10 years our universe has been around. Violent relaxation, the ejection of stars and mergers together of stars, that's going to happen, these random collisions of stars in space, only until the universe is around 10 to the 17 years old. White dwarfs go dark after a time scale of 10 to the 14 or 10 to the 15 years. But these in-spirals of binary systems, they should continue to occur until the universe is as much as 10 to the 21 years old. Or over a hundred billion times the present age of the universe. The universe will never truly end, but the sources of usable energy in it are finite and limited, and eventually we will have the last star in the universe. If you want to plan on being around for the final one, binary brown dwarfs are the place to look. Pick the right one, and you just might see the universe's final star.
The Starts With a Bang podcast is made possible through the generous donations of our Patreon supporters. I'd like to personally thank everyone who's actively donating at the $5 and above level, which includes Bakhtiar, Robert J. Hansen, Kathy Reese, Thomas Sola, Denier, Igor Mitrofanov, Nick Tomlinson, Rafal Wojcik, Jason Besansini, Pedro Texera, Brian Terry, Danny, Denis Arnaud, Alexander Marius, Gaijin, Bob Wilson, Adam Rabung, Andrew Douglas, Weller Tractor Salvage, Ian Lamb, James Nance, Richard Jousey, Amira Sosnick, Mark Bradshaw, Michael Mason, Sidney Atwood, Christopher Wetmore, Willie Keplinger, Harry Plumley, John Methot, Jose Enrique, Joe McFarland, Rachel Merritt, Nathan Hanna, Tomas All, Glenn McDavid, Nick McCann, Benjamin Turner, David Taschioni, Radek Nesbida, Patrick Dennis, Chris Hilly, Joe Latone, DGE, John Seal, Philip Radilovic, Nathan Heston, Braxton Thomason, Kevin Garrison, and Zarko Opacic. Thanks for joining us, everyone, and we'll see you back here next time on Starts With a Bang.